Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Short Stacks, our shorter conversations with authors about their process and their books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and our guests today are the authors of How We Fight White Supremacy, Akiba Solomon and Kenria Rankin. Everything we talk about on today's show can be found in the link in the show notes. That link will take you to all of the books, movies, articles, and everything else discussed on the show. Also in the show notes are our links to our social media accounts so you can stay connected with The Stacks. If you want more of The Stacks, head over to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash The Stacks and join our bookish community. Patreon allows listeners to help support the show while earning cool perks. One of my favorite perks is our virtual book club, where our Patreon community hops on a video call to discuss the past week's picks for The Stacks book club. It's so awesome and it's a great way to dive deeper into the books we've all been reading together. If you're interested in joining the Stacks Pack, head over to patreon.com slash the Stacks. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts. Today is a first for the Stacks. We have two guests on one episode. Both Akiba Solomon and Kenria Rankin are joining us today. They're the authors of How We Fight White Supremacy. Akiba Solomon is the Senior Editorial Director of Color Lines and an award-winning journalist whose writing on culture, race, gender, and reproductive health has appeared in Essence, Glamour, and Ebony, among other outlets. Kenria Rankin is the award-winning author, journalist, and editorial consultant and the editorial director at Color Lines. Her work has appeared in dozens of national publications, including the New York Times, Reader's Digest, and Fast Company, to name a few. Okay, now let's dive in. All right. We are here today with Kenria Rankin and Akiva Solomon, the authors of How We Fight White Supremacy. Ladies, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for having us on. Um, I was just saying to them, this is the first time we've ever had two authors at once, which is like kind of exciting to me. The more authors, the merrier. Very fancy. Yeah. Uh, Well, you guys wrote a book together, so it's kind of nice to get both of your opinions. So we'll start with, and either one of you can answer any of these questions, but we'll start with in about 30 seconds or so. Can you tell us about your book? Kenry, you want to go on this? 
Sure. So our book is called How We Fight White Supremacy, A Field Guide to Black Resistance. And the title to us, you know, kind of says it all. Um, we set out to look at the various ways that black people are fighting resistance, both seemingly small and large. And we are really interested in drawing out things that people may not necessarily think of as resistance. Very often people tend to think of protests and picket lines as being the ways that we fight back and that we, you know, work toward liberation, but we think that there are more quiet ways and that there, while there are people who loom large in this space, that there are also folks who are doing great work uh, at the local level. And it was really important to us that we big up everybody. I love that. Where did you guys, or like, why did you feel compelled to talk about these like smaller moments of resistance or these less prominent or media-sized moments of resistance? Why was that important to you guys? Well, I mean, this is Akiva. It was important to me because, um, you know, not everything we do is going to get coverage and not everything we do is considered to be a story even. But, um, you know, Black folks have a long history of subversion. We have a long history of using humor as a weapon, um, long history of using storytelling, um, are all of these different ways of resistance that we do every single day um, that we just wanted to to highlight to make sure that people don't feel like because they're not picketing um, or because they're not starting a petition or, you know, those are all great uh, methods of resistance. But we just wanted to make sure that we got all of the different cultural sites of Black resistance. And I would add that, you know, part of the reason that we wanted to be able to highlight those things is because we want folks to understand how they resist as well, mm. that they can, you know, see in these stories themselves and whether it's something that they're already doing and not really thinking about it, but they can be more intentional about it, or if it means that they really sit down and put some thought into the ways that they can resist right where they stand. We hope that that's one of the major takeaways from this book. I mean, that came through for me in the book. There were a lot of moments where I was like, I do that. Yes, I am active. I am being resistant, like in your face, white supremacy. Like I really did have moments reading the book being like, hmm, pat on my back. Thank you so much. Good. Which I know is kind of silly. I'm saying it kind of in a tongue in cheek way, but there were like, there's, um, my husband is white and there's a section where you have someone who talks about being in an interracial marriage. And I was like, okay. I guess I'm not a sellout then. Like, I, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm in. I'm still in. <laughs> yes. The, the, book, the book is anti. <laughs> the, the book is the opposite of that sort of attitude. I mean, yes. we really wanted to um, have a lot of diversity and diversity of opinion, diversity of entry point. Um, we made sure to make it multi-generational. Um, and, you know, we actually it's, it's not called how to fight white supremacy um, because we kind of joke in the intro. If we knew exactly how to fight and win then we wouldn't need this book. But it is how we fight white supremacy. And right. so, you know, it speaks to how people in their everyday lives and in particular political moments fight white supremacy. Right. And, you know, as Henry often says, sometimes fighting white supremacy means getting out of bed. Yeah. You know, sometimes it means functioning and, and being present for your partner or, or your child. It can be, you know, just about any. It can, it's going to therapy and being honest and yes. getting yourself together. Um, those are all forms of fighting white supremacy. Yeah, I love that. And you kind of touched on this. You have a diversity of 
guests or of, of contributors. I say guests because that's what I have on my show. Um, <laughs> a diversity of contributors. You have, you know, we had Damon Young on the podcast a few weeks ago and he shouted out the book, um, oh, nice. which was awesome. Hey. And he's in there and you have, you know, Harry Belafonte and you have DJs and you have, you know, poets and you have a witch, which was my favorite. <laughs> it was like, my yes, yes. yes, black witch. <laughs> But it's not just that you have a diversity of people represented, but you also have a diversity of types of writing. So you have playlists, you have poetry, you have essays, you have interviews. Was that something that you guys really wanted or did that kind of just fall into place based on the people that you asked? Yeah, that was always there from the beginning. Um, we felt like we could not be contained by the form of essay. Like the brilliance of Black resistance can't only be in essays. Mm. And... Um, for that reason, we knew that we wanted, yeah, we wanted songs, we wanted poems, we wanted playlists, we wanted Q&As, we wanted s tos essays, comics, fine art. I mean, we really do run the gamut. And part of that is that we wanted to make sure that there are lots of entry points, as Akiba was saying. You know, someone may not necessarily love essays, but... Maybe, you know, cartoons are the thing that gets them in. Well, we got that for you. We have mm-hmm. photography if that's what's interesting to you. Um, we wanted folks to be able to feel like there is a place for them within this collection. And that included being able to change the modality. Um, the other thing is that this to us is not an anthology. Mm-hmm. And I think very often people categorize it that way because there are lots of different contributors. But to us, at least, that and, and both of us have edited anthologies before this, and they follow a very rigid structure. And this book is the opposite of that. Mm. <laughs> there really are a lot of different things here, um, including 10 essays that we each wrote um, within the book. And so we didn't just curate. We also added our own voices to the conversation and to moving it forward. And how important was that for you guys to make sure that your voices were constant throughout the book? I mean, I I think it was important. Um, A lot of those essays are really personal, so I wouldn't say I enjoyed it in particular. (laughs) It was definitely (laughs) like bloodletting. (laughs) I was kind of like, okay, what do we get ourselves into? But, um, But, I mean, you know, I think it's important to talk about your personal journey. I think anytime people can tell the story of where they're coming from and they can talk about their own experiences and, you know, it provides connective tissue throughout the book. I, I, for that reason, you know, I'm glad that we included essays. Well, and so I, I, I'm not going to say cheated, but I do nine essays and then I do a poem, actually. Mm-hmm. Kenry did 10 essays. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, roughly, but one of those turns into like text conversations. So. It's so funny. <laughs> I love the text chain. Oh, my Thank God. You. My friends are fools. Uh, (laughs) I love that. Okay. So this is a chance for you to each be nice to each other. What do you feel like as far as working together? How did you guys divide the work? Where did you feel like you excelled versus your partner or vice versa? Or like kind of how, because I know when you work, you work with someone by choice. And I feel like that comes with a lot of things, both, you know, really wonderful things. And also sometimes it can be really challenging. So how did you guys divide the work? And like, how did you figure out who would do what? And what did you do? Oh, uh, you want to start? <laughs> Partner? Uh, sure. <laughs> um, well, so first I'll say that uh, one of Kenria's strongest points is that she is very, very, very organized. Okay. And that she can find a system or a sheet 
or, you know, she finds the best way to do complex projects. And this certainly was complex. So that feeds into the question about what we did, uh, which was we brainstormed and created an outline. Um, We had to contact certain people so they could be in our proposal. So we did a couple of initial essays. Um, We had to decide what the chapters were going to be. We knew that they were going to be based on Black conventional wisdom. So, you know, we divided them up based on people's preference. Um, And then there was just a lot of back and forth. I mean, we talked to some of our contributors like 57 times, seriously, between, you know, doing the actual interview or, or getting the work to securing a photo, to the photo credit, to letting them know the book was coming out. To I mean, it just, this was a very, very involved piece of work. And I have to say, without um, Ken Re- I mean, all of these other great things, but if you talk about um, in terms of deficits, I am not the organized one mm. at all. And that was essential in a book like this. No, that's real. Thanks, boo. I mean, to, I guess to add, I mean, Akiba, you know, we said at time because we work together too. Um, Akiba is like a visionary. She has really great ideas and is really good at thinking of new ways to approach things. Um, and I think that's one of the things that help to shape, you know, shape up the way that this book looks and to keep it interesting and to move things forward. Um what do I add about that process? I mean, we we basically like we used um, Google, like its whole suite of things, really well and interconnectedly in order to to be able to do things. And we basically we split the book up, so it's got ten chapters. So she owned five, and I own five, and then each of us worked on you know reaching out to the people who we had set out in our in our outline that we knew that we wanted to talk to. So as he said that outline was really key. Um, That started things even from the proposal process. So we always knew that we were going to have a chapter that was about organizing. We knew there was going to be a chapter about youth organizers and youth organizing, which is called, uh, what is it? Oh, you got me. No, is it you got McDonald's money or, oh, I'm not one of your little friends. Yeah, I'm not that. You got McDonald's money was one iteration of that. Yeah, channel. yeah. We ended up as I'm not one your little phrase because we <laughs> wanted it to be incredibly black all the way through, right? So that there was no question as to what we were talking about. Right. Um, and so within each of those chapters, we just we figured out, you know, so in some cases, those people who we already knew and at work with, and we knew were doing great work within each of those particular themes. And then a lot of it was us putting on our journalist hats and doing research and finding people in various mm-hmm. parts of the country who. Who were doing that work and so then we slotted those into each of those chapters and then for each of ours we did the work of going after people and assigning stories and editing them and cross-editing them we cross-edited each other's essays we um, brainstormed on our essays together those are usually super fruitful uh, sessions because as Akiba said the essays were, for me, like, the essay was the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Like all the corralling and the editing people stuff, you know, we damn near do that with our eyes closed. But the trying to like, de- like the hardest one for me was delving into my relationship with money and how that's impacted by white supremacy. Like that, it took like no joke, like a bunch of therapy sessions before I got to the point where I could write the essay because I just couldn't, I had a block. Um, but yeah, and so we, we did a lot of cross-editing, and so everything had a couple of eyes on it by the time we finished, and it made the process that much smoother. Wow, that sounds like a lot. 
Yeah. A lot. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like it paid off because the book is really fantastic. It really is. And I was saying, I think maybe before we started recording that sometimes when I approach a book, I'm kind of like, okay, let's see. Like I kind of come to it like, oh, you better be good. You're going to have to impress me. (laughs) Like I'm so chesty. Like why am I like that? I don't know. That's a whole other episode. But it's true. And I got to like be like about three quarters into the book and I was like, I still like this. Like congratulations. Thank you. We didn't lose you partway through. No, because because it stays so fresh. It's like this as soon as you're kind of like, okay, I need something else. It's like you get it. As soon as you're kind of like, oh, I kind of see what they're doing here. You guys have flipped it by by the by whoever the contributor is or whatever it was. Like I wasn't expecting the the um, essay about you know doomsday stuff, right? Like the archery and the gardening, and I was oh, like, yeah. this is so <laughs> dumb. <laughs> yeah, like it's like and like there's a sermon in there that I just was like. I take notes when I read for the show and I just wrote down in capitals sermon exclamation 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 (laughs) but like it's the book I think that's the thing the book is energizing it feels like it I felt energized while reading it I was like this is so cool to see how other people are doing it and and you're right, you know, how we fight white supremacy. I think that the first thing that pops into your head is like a protest or a rally or something. And then you start really breaking it down and hearing what other people are saying and how they're interpreting it. And you're like, oh, I actually am part of this movement. And like, there is a place for me here. And I think that that was really um, powerful to read as a black woman. And I guess that, that's none of that's a question, but thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, right? Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide 
at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. But I do have a question about how you guys found your contributors. You kind of alluded to it that you, you know, some of it was people you knew, some of it was people that you found who were doing the work. But did you ever reach out to someone and say like, okay, Damon, we want you to write about money. And he was like, no, I'd be happy to write about God. Or like, you know, was, was there ever anybody who pushed back or said, well, what are my other options? Or did you ask them just to write about how they fight white supremacy and then you placed it into the correct bin? I, I would say the second, um, the second way, you know, for the particularly people who wrote for us, um, you know, we knew that they had distinct voices and we knew what we wanted to get out of them um, in terms of tone, in terms of um, storytelling and movement. And so, um, I mean, what we did have are quite a few people who said they were going to do something and then they didn't actually do it. So it wasn't so much that... <laughs> It wasn't so much that people who we talked to, you know, said, I don't want to write about that because the prompt is really, you know, quite open. Just how do you fight white supremacy? And that was always the prompt. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I think like if we talked to a reverend, we knew that we wanted something spiritual from Mm -hmm. that person. Mm -hmm. Um, But then Mia Birdsong, who you mentioned, um, who wrote the piece about survival, I mean, I met Mia at TED in a line at Mm -hmm. TED, and we just started to talk because we follow each other very loosely on Facebook. And so, you know, what she ended up writing about, like survival and and beekeeping and all these things, I didn't know she was going to do that at all. You know, I just knew that she did a certain kind of work around Black families, and I knew that some of her work... Um, has an academic uh, sheen to it. And I knew she was really funny and good to talk to. Um, and I knew that actually she was going to follow through and actually fulfill, you know, her promise to do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we really did let people be themselves. Um, and for folks that we didn't necessarily know very well or who um, writing is not their instrument, um, then that's part of the reason why or they didn't have time that's part of the reason why we did so many interviews because we wanted to make sure that you heard the voices um, of folks that you might not have access to otherwise. And and I think those things also allowed us to guide the conversation in certain ways. So, um, you know, we knew that when we were going to talk to the folks at the collective that we specifically wanted to talk about fundraising for progressive candidates and it was the form, the Q&A, really lent itself to talking to two people because they're led by two folks. And so sometimes the form was dictated by the work that they do and by the leadership that they have. Um, and then sometimes it was by, like, for example, with Ayana Bird, she wrote um, a piece about beauty and about loving herself. And, like, we know that she does work in the beauty space. And so when we said, hey, write about how you fight white supremacy – 
she knew that she wanted to do something within that space and we knew that she was going to do it too. Or sometimes we would just say, it's going to be in such and such a chapter, do you? Kind of a deal. So then they know what the theme of the chapter is and then they write within it. But we would be completely... Um, we were all the way, always all the way open to whatever they were going to give us. And very often it was really surprising and beautiful. And how long did it take for the book to become a book? Like how long were you guys working on it before you turned it in, before like the editing process, but like getting it all together? Uh, so we started working in earnest, like after the whole selling it and the proposal, which a lot of research and stuff obviously goes in at that right. point. But in terms of contract signed, like doing interviews we started in november of 17 right and then we turned it in may 1st um 2018 so what's that five months six months that's quick all right yeah it was really quick i mean you know we knew we knew we needed to knock it out Uh, we both did it um we both worked full time um and you know, I mean, being a journalist does have its advantages in that you're used to working really quickly, but also you're used to, like, um, nudging people, um, reminding people a million times. I mean, if I wasn't a journalist, I would not be able to email, you know, I don't want to name a name because I don't want to make them sound like a problem. But, you know, like, <laughs> so-and-so, I, you know, if I wasn't a journalist, I would feel so mortified to bother people. You know right. what I mean? Like, I wouldn't want to... So I'd be like, sorry to stalk you, but, but, you know, I was just like, hi, I'm stalking you. You said you were yeah. going to do this. Um, right. and, and so that's how we got it done. We just, we had to get it done. Um, we were on a mission and it needed to fit within our work lives and our personal lives. And so we made it work. And we had a lot of time. By the time we started actually writing, we had had a lot of time for prep. So we had this idea before the election in 2016. So we started working on the proposal right around that time. And so in that process, and it's why the proposaling process is so important, it really helps you to get a solid idea of what your book is before you even get into it. You know, so like when I talk to people who want to self-publish, I'm always like, okay, cool, you're not going to be trying to sell this, but it still really helps to go through the proposal process to get a concrete idea of what it is that you're trying to do so that by the time you sit down to write, you got it. There's no, like I said, our outline was completely mapped out before we sat down. And how much did the book change from those like first initial ideas around 2016 to what it is now? Or did it change? I think it, I think it changed in that the moment that we started the book was very different than the moment when we were working on the book. Mm. So, you know, the election of 45 was really unexpected um, for us. And so um, some of the, like some of the questions or some of the tone or like what was going on within people's psyche was a little different than what it was before he won. Um, And sort of politically in particular, Things change so quickly, you know, the time at the time that we um, decided to do this book and started working on it. I mean, this is before like the FBI came up with black extremity, I mean, black identity extremists or that sort of thing. Um, So because the political tenor changed, I think it changed the way some of the folks that we talked to um, received what we were asking them to do. Uh, I'm going to transition just slightly to you two as writers How do you guys 
actually write? You're a journalist, so you do a lot of writing in your life. Like, where do you like to be? What's your setup? Do you have snacks or beverages? Do you light a candle? <laughs> do you sing a song? Do you listen to music? Like, what's your writing place? <sighs> so, okay, this is Kenria. Um, so I usually am writing like when it's not like work writing where I'm doing stuff on a quick turnaround. Um, it's always after hours. I have an eight year old who I have to put to bed first. Okay. So it's eight thirty. I turn off the main light and turn on like a softer one that doesn't feel so harsh. Yeah. Just kind of soothing. And um, sometimes I put on like my, my lavender. I'm like looking at it, my lavender diffuser to, if I need to like come down for them day, from the day. And um, I usually write in silence. I know that a lot of folks can't do it. And it depends on how long I've been going. Sometimes I will put on music. And like, so when we were writing this book, it would be entire, like my, she would be with her godmother so that I could write and I would stay up all night and I would do it all day. And so eventually music would come on, but it has to be super low and usually something that doesn't have words because then I just get into the music mm-hmm. and I'm singing instead of writing. Um, but so yeah, it's, it's either completely quiet or it's low music without words. And I, usually write with candy, especially if it's late and I'm trying to stay up. I like rips. I shout them out in the book because they help me. (laughs) (laughs) They help me get through Um, and probably jacked up my teeth along the way, but whatever. That's okay. Um, And I don't do caffeine. At all. I'm super sensitive to it. Yeah, well, the only time I ever did it, it was one time during the course of this book where I was super tired, but we were almost at the end and I had to push through and stay up super late and I had a cherry Pepsi Ooh. and that got me through. I, I don't drink coffee and I don't drink caffeinated tea. So <laughs> I like bought candy and a Pepsi and that was how I got <laughs> like, hyped up. Like the turn yeah. up is real over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a little nutty, but I needed it. But usually it's just me in this glass water bottle and some candy just kind of powering through yeah I just like to make it as still as and chill and that's why I sit on my couch and that that helps because during the day I'm either sitting at my desk or I'm sitting at my kitchen table and it's very um you know structured and whatever and so when I do that I like to be in a different environment because it's a different type of writing so I like Mm. to be super duper comfortable and chill so Canada has healthy writing habits um Mine are not anything that I'm proud of, but in um, in the interest of answering your question, um, most of the time, like if I'm doing personal writing, a lot of times I'm doing it after I'm really, really sleepy and my defenses are down, quite frankly. Um, I can be wrapped somewhat tight um, and I definitely, because of all these years of being a journalist and an editor, I tend to self-edit, you know, I I can self-edit once every paragraph. So being very sleepy actually helps me. I'll go back and revise it. Um, The other thing, um, two other things I do is I always listen to music that I know really well that's very soothing. And, um, you know, I I sing. um, I mean, I'll sing throughout my entire working. And it's almost like I'm, I'm doing something along with writing. Um, the other thing is I always have scrap paper because I doodle a lot. So, you know, the, the act of doodling, the act of staying um, active while I'm doing something, particularly something that's really painful, is important because it's really easy for me to be like, this is too much and now I'm just not going to do it. Um, you know, but but I don't I don't um, 
I don't recommend sensory deprivation, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's one part of my formula. Okay. So. And what sort of stuff were you guys reading or watching kind of through this process? I don't remember, honestly. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, it was, I didn't really, there was no time. Okay. I mean, we were moving so quickly that there really wasn't, it's like when you're in school and I know the thing that I always, that I hated most about undergrad was that I never felt like I had time to read for real life. Like it was only what I had to read for projects or for school. And that's what writing a book always feels like to me. Like I have to be laser focused on this. And so I don't have a lot of time to read what everybody else is doing. And also there's a a sense of not wanting it to um, influence you too much, especially when you're writing in the essay form. Mm. Um, You don't want anybody else's conventions um, to creep in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me switch the question a little bit. For people who like, loved, enjoyed, were inspired by your book, what sort of stuff would you recommend that they pick up and read? Good, not necessarily the same type of book, but just something that you think might be like in conversation with or in the same vein as, or maybe totally different. But if you like this, you might kind of be into this other thing. Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think I think um, the memoir form can be helpful um, for folks to read just because it shows you how you can chart a story based on emotion and personal action. Um, and so, um, you know, I always recommend Asada. I think that's one of the best memoirs of our of our age. Um, uh, heavy by Cassie Lehman is quite heavy, but um, it definitely. I think helps open up and reimagine what a memoir or a political memoir can be. I also actually recommend short stories. Um, so I'm going to plug my sister now, not because she's my sister, but because she's awesome. But uh, my sister Sally did a collection called Get Down. Um, and they were short stories that mainly had to do with like young black girls in Philadelphia who uh, were raised in a similar environment as ours, which was cultural nationalists. And I would recommend that because, again, um, these are works of fiction or these are creative works, but they have a political undertone to them. Um, and I think it's it's not always easy to thread that needle if you haven't actually tried it or if you haven't read it. So that's what I would recommend. Dope. Uh, so I, I have two, and I, they're informed by, uh, well, well, let me not. Let me not say that I have to. One, I was going to say heavy. Um, I also agree. Casey's in our book and he, he writes an essay about his dad. That it's is so good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> when he sent that draft, my goodness. Yeah, it is amazing. I love that story into my bones. And so I would absolutely recommend that people pick that up. Um, another one, though, because this book, we start in the very first page of the first chapter. We have very serious black feminist underpinnings to this book because, you know, we, we talk a lot about hierarchies and intersectionality and, and those kind of things and how we can't all be free if the quote unquote least of us are not. Um, and so one book that I recommend that people read is All the Women Are White, All the Blacks Are Men, But Some of Us Are Brave. Um, it's like the seminal text that brings together, you know, all the under and I think that's a really key book to read to understand um, that theory. The other one, uh, again, in the in the feminist vein, is um, Sister Outsider. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. beautiful and 
there's, you know, the collected works there really give you a great idea of the kind of things that she was doing and why they're still so relevant today. I love those are so many great recommendations. Did this book ever have a different title? Um, yeah, in the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so maybe, so I'll tell the the origin story, right? And that'll give us that. So uh, this is Kenria. So I had the idea for this book while I was in the car, driving home, listening to a podcast, because I love podcasts. Me too. Yes, they're the best. <laughs> <laughs> and I was um, thinking about how just as there are millions of Black people, there are millions of ways to resist. And it really kind of started from the idea of this um, Walt Whitman poem, Song of Myself. And he talks about how he contains multitudes. He says, like, do I contradict myself? Okay, fine, whatever. I contain multitudes. Like, I'm, I don't only fit in one lane. And I would always use that to talk about how I could dance on tables on Saturday and go to church on Sundays. But then I really extended it to black people. Like we are not a monolith, even though folks like to act as if we are, that we, you know, all think of being black as the same way. And, you know, we talk a lot in the book about how there are lots of different ways to be black. Like, calm down. You, you don't have a monopoly on what it means to be black. Um, but just as there are millions of ways of black people and millions of ways to be black, there are millions of ways to resist. But so that was really where the original title came from. And it was, it was, we contain multitudes or something like that, drawing off of that poem. Um, well, so one, we decided it wasn't descriptive enough, but also I didn't want to, move a book that's about black resistance that draws this direct inspiration from a white man. So there right. was that. Right. Um, that then, yeah. And then we landed on how to fight white supremacy. But as Akiba said earlier, the book is not prescriptive. Um, and adding that too makes it sound like it's a, you know, uh, like it's, yeah, like there's some formula that if you read this book, then you'll have it all figured out. And that's just not realistic or true. Mm. Um, and so the we was really um, powerful to us in terms of really framing what the conversation is, but also inviting people in. You know, this book, we hope, um, acts as a community. And what a lot of what we heard when we were on tour was that people told us that they were carrying this book around with them to remind them that they do have a place in the movement and that they are not alone, even when they feel that way. Um, and we think that we, even if you don't think about it, we were really intentional about it and making folks understand that they too are part of this conversation. I love that so much. Okay. We're getting to the end. So basically I want to know if you guys have gotten any pushback from this book. Um, well, I wouldn't even call it pushback to the book. Um, what we've gotten a lot of, because we've done several talk radio shows and we've done, you know, several gigs, is people who have their own idea of what the topic should be, um, who say, I'm going to read your book, but, and then they <laughs> trot out how they think about it. So it's like pre-pushback. Um, yeah, yes. it's pretty pushback, but it's also, you know, it's sort of like this, you know, why wasn't I consulted kind of thing? Or, um, or you know, just, I mean, I'm sorry, but just plain sexism in a lot of cases. Like, a lot of times, it, you know, it, it would be men um, trying to, like, you know, start off and act like they had a question, but really they just wanted to do a lecture about something. Um, and then, you know, be like, but, you know, great job on your book. I'm, I'm going to get it. And so that's the kind of pushback I think we've gotten. Um, but there hasn't been any 
you know, we, I mean, like National Review has didn't do a book review about it, or you know, they, like so we 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 don't have anything like that. Man, people, uh, I, I think the only other thing that has come up, and that all of that hasn't sometimes been harrowing, but it has been minimal. Like most of the reaction that we've gotten from folks has been like we had a woman who told us that we helped her figure out her life's purpose. Like those kind of stories have been much more common. I know that was there were tears. There's also been people who have taken issue with the idea of us using the words white supremacy to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, these are mostly online trolls who like to pop up on our, you know, on our IG posts and Facebook posts and say, but when you say white supremacy, you're saying that it exists and you're saying that they're supreme. And <laughs> what we are constantly having to tell people is you can act like it doesn't exist, but not saying a name doesn't make it to shit go away. Like it right. just doesn't. Right. And we also direct people back to the definition that we use of white supremacy, which is that it is a, it is a political, economic, and cultural system that that uh, thrives on the subjugation of people who are not white. That does not say that white people are better than anyone else, but it does say that the system is set up so that they are privileged and held up and the rest of us who do not fit into the slot at the top of the hierarchy are subjugated. Right. Well, I have just one last question, which is, do you both know what comes next, either for you guys together or separate? Are there things that we should be looking out for from either of you or both of you? Um, so my next project is going to be a fun project. Um, <laughs> Are you insinuating <laughs> that this book was not fun? <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there were some funny mo- There was lots of fun in How We Fight White Supremacy. But, um, you know, the book will still have um, some political underpinnings, but it's a graphic novel, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say more about it. I don't want to jinx it. Okay. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll let you know when I, um, <laughs> I'll let you know when I get a deal, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on right awesome. now. It's something that's a total departure from anything I've done before. Love. Hey, um, this is Kenria. I am working on my next book too. I can't really say much about it. The proposal is with someone right now. Okay. So um, I guess what I can say is that Black women feature at the center of this particular narrative. I love it. I'm so cliffhanger. I can't wait. <laughs> what you're saying essentially is that you both have things that are you're hoping will be in the world in the near future. Yes, yes, absolutely. I love that it. Works. Well, thank you guys so much. We will link to everything we talked about today, as well as your social media accounts and everything in the show notes. So thank you both for being here. And folks, if you haven't checked it out yet, How We Fight White Supremacy is awesome and amazing. And you've got to check it out. Thank you. Thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being here. And we will see you guys in the stacks. All right, everybody, that does it for us on The Short Stacks. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you both to Akiba Solomon and Kenria Rankin for being our guests. Thank you also to Josie at Bold Type Books for helping organize this interview. How We Fight White Supremacy is out in the world, so run and get your copy. Everything we talk about on today's show can be found in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join the Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash the Stacks to join the fun. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This episode of The Short Stacks was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. I will see you in the Stacks. <laughs>